Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Hello! <laughs> what <It's>, is happening? <laughs> I'll tell you what's happening, Brandon. It's the B&E podcast for the 117th time. <laughs> Doing it once again uh, on our topical conversation day here. Uh, and this one I'm excited about because it was a suggestion from uh, from the the Twitter sphere, yes. from uh, somebody who is enjoying the show, mm-hmm. um, and this one comes from Lainey, I believe is her name. Lainey 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 Lanowitz Lanowitz uh, Lainey Lanowitz. This is for you. This is for you, Lainey. And uh, she was asking about uh, the trouble of letting go of a project and more specifically about not editing to death your work, Mm -hmm. not Um, ruining it, not ruining it by just continuing to edit. So, uh, I think it's, that was a freaking fantastic topic. Uh, yeah, and the other bonus, which you didn't necessarily ask cause you only get 140 characters. Yes. Um, but is that, uh, is, uh, basically, the whole thing about shipping your work too. Like there's a certain point where you got to put it out there in the world to actually do something with it and make money out of it yeah. or actually, otherwise it's just always an incomplete. And mm-hmm. so when do you finally like put that stamp of approval and put it out there in the world, which is another side of it too, you know, and we can talk about the perfection side of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, to speak on the point of ruining it, cause that was in the, in the tweet. Yes. Um, I think you can ruin it. And this was a conversation I was having with a, a writer the other night. We were talking about this and like, there can be a point where you start to overthink your work so much where it becomes inauthentic. And I think if you read a lot of like screenwriting books and you listen to a lot of people tell their insights on, on writing, for example, um, or editing or whatever, they can kind of their ideas sound intelligent and they sound like smart ideas, but the implementation of them, there's something you can lose at the same time you're trying to gain something. Right. To give you a good example was, uh, uh, so my friend was pointing out the idea of, uh, um, one of the writers suggested that, you know, all the dialogues like a melody, I was explaining this earlier yeah. to you, but all the dialogues like a melody. So there needs to be kind of like, uh, a rhythm, like a music, a musicality to it all. So if everything is five sentences, so I say five sentences, you say five, sentences. five sentences or five words, five words, or yeah, five words. I yeah. say five words, you say five words. Then we say five more words, five more words here, five more words there, five more words, this, and it kind of has this repetitive kind of, you know, but if you yeah. say it like this, it's like, I say some things, you reply. I say some more things you say, yes you know, and it kind of yeah. has this, it has a little bit of a, you know, a melody to it by breaking it up. And like, maybe it's a few words at a time or, you know, a few, like one word or three words or, you know, and so the mix of it all kind of creates a melody to the dialogue. And I, I think, you know, 
that's a really intelligent way to look at your script and kind of see the musicality of how it reads, especially for a play that would almost be even more important, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to be able to write that in my opinion, right off the bat, that's going to be something you're going to edit into it. And I think it's a really like intelligent way to look at how to make your, your script sing a little bit more, but at the same time, not if it means at the price of the authenticity of the characters actually talking, because really that's, what's important. I mean, I think the melody of the words is like, it's like a nice bonus. It's a nice touch. It's like, yeah, adding a layer. But if you add the layer at the cost of the core of the dialogue, then you've lost, you know? So that's where I think editing, um, to the point where you actually ruin it can actually start to ruin it because editing is only there to improve. Um, yeah. 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 And to strip away what's unnecessary as well. Right. I think that's a part of editing that's, um, sometimes over overlooked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I also think as well, like I can see how this works on a more direct musical, uh, level as well. We had a guest, um, a while back, uh, uh, Shane Martin, who's a musician and, uh, I've had conversations with him. He might've brought it up on, on the episode, but, uh, he had been, I had had a conversation with him at some point where he was saying that when he was recording like his first sort of EP, his first like of his own music. And he was wanting to add all of these things to it. You know, like he had the guts of his song, which was something pretty simple. And he was just like, yeah, I want to add this. And so he would add this, this component to it. And then he would add this to it and this and this. And then eventually it got to a point where he said like, it was just the sound just became so cluttered. Hmm. It became like there was too much going on in it that you couldn't really hear a melody in it anymore. It was just like a ton of noise going on. Yeah. And then it had to be dialed back. Right. He had to strip it back again. Right. And so I think this is in some ways what we're talking about is like, you can ruin it. Yeah. Adding too much, adding too much. Yeah. 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 And I think that, you know, to further on that point too, and I think he did say that on our podcast, cause I remember him talking about that. At least he talked to me about it too. And I think it's a really good point. It's like, um, uh, simple is usually the most powerful. And that's the thing that I think the professionals know that the amateurs don't. Yeah. Amateurs don't believe in their writing. So they don't think that something simple will actually work. Right. Professionals believe in their writing. I mean, I'm talking about the people that actually, you know, consistently will sell their work or get hired or make money or whatever. Um, I think the difference between a professional and amateur is a professional knows when simple is enough. Yeah. Knows that sometimes less is more, you know? And I think, I don't think that comes down so much to writing ability as much as it comes down to internal beliefs. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been talking with a lot of writers cause like people ask me a lot now they're like, well, you know, how did you do it? How did you become a professional writer? And I think the thing is like, I don't know if I, like when I like think about someone like Sorkin or I think about some of these other guys, I'm like, well, <clears throat> I'm not there. I'm not necessarily at that level. And I, and I, and I can be realistic about that. I mean, at least if I am, I haven't necessarily 
contributed something of that <clears throat> caliber yet, but, um, in, in my own opinion, but the thing is, is what I do trust is that I trust that pretty much whatever I put on the page is going to work. I don't, yeah. I, I'm just at a point now where I'm like, it's probably going to work. It's, it, it might not be the best thing I can do, but it's probably going to work. And that belief allows me to do really simple stuff because yeah. I don't feel like I have to impress anybody or do anything more. I think, um, now I've gotten to a stage in my life as a writer where I could enhance my writing to higher levels and yeah. greater degrees and learn some new techniques. But I think I have the most important thing, yeah. which is simplicity. I, I can write and it sounds, it, it almost sounds too easy, but really I can write a simple script with a clear, concise concept with a compelling character and compelling plot line that, that just tells a story and brings you along. And I'd say the other thing about simple is that the reason why I can write simple is not only do I believe in myself, but I will feel it. So like, even if the characters only say like, like literally the dialogue could be just like, like the way we're talking like, Hey, how's it going? Yeah. And you go good. And I say, great. So what's new? And, and if anybody read that on paper and didn't understand the context, it'd be like, that's terrible. That dialogue is just so like, nothing's happening. But what I know is that that character knows that this character like killed somebody and this character is an undercover cop and he knows that, that they don't know, you know, and all of a sudden the context of that dialogue becomes super interesting. Yeah. The stakes are so high. All they said was, Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Good. What's new? And what would have been a normal, usual conversation seemingly in regular life you put that in the context of, uh, criminals and cops and all of a sudden it could be super compelling. And, and that's the thing when I'm talking about is simple is you don't have to have this, like, I think sometimes writers think they have to have this like Tarantino esque dialogue. And I've tried that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And it really just kind of doesn't, it's, I don't like, I don't really write like Tarantino, you know? So like yeah. when I do it, that's not really my my way of yeah. writing, you know? And the, and you know, the world doesn't need another Tarantino. No, they we've got already, we've, yeah, we've already got a Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, but then, you know, there'll be these moments in a, in a script where, you know, a character might have a monologue or they might say something that'll be really kind of unique to me and that will really stand out. But usually I didn't know it stood out when I wrote it, but then someone will read the draft and be like, like, like for example, on the burning blues one, there was that one scene where, you know, the writing agent was like, this is inspired. Like this scene was like inspired. And then, and to me, I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Like when I wrote it to me, that was just very much like, I don't know. It seemed like what the guy needed to say, you know, yeah. but yet that can stand out. So I think long, the short of it, simple is way more effective than you might think. And that's yeah. really what helps a professional be a professional. Yeah because the amateurs, I think they tend to overcomplicate their work. Yeah. Can Mm -hmm. you tell a very simple story? Mm -hmm. And I think that, and, and the thing is, is that there are plenty of examples of, especially if we're looking at the, the realm of film, there's a lot of evidence as to how that can backfire. Case in point, I'm just going to, I'm just going to call it out. Batman versus Superman. Oh yeah. Like great example. That, too complicated. Like way too complicated. Yeah. Like the, the movie should have literally just been about the title. <laughs> right. Batman versus Superman. And it was like, it just took on this whole thing of now we've got like 
Batman Luth- versus Superman, Superman and now Luther's involved and he's got some weird <laughs> nefarious complex way that he's going to set some things up and now this other person's involved and this villain's involved all of a sudden you're like when the fuck did this like what is going on like you are like why did you say Martha <laughs> like it was just anyone who's seen it knows what we're talking yeah about. and it was <laughs> like so and that's just one example yeah and it's because I think what what goes wrong is you know, we celebrate a lot of movies that have these very intricate, um, and to degree complex stories. Um, but the thing is, is that I, I don't believe that these stories started out that way. Right. They start out as something very, very simple. Um, and then you build upon it from there, but you've got to make sure because otherwise you lose the melody. Yeah. of what's going on. Your listener can no longer hear what's at the, the heart of it. It's just a big jumbled mess of sounds and you can't really grab on to anything and it becomes unpleasant. Well, it's kind of like, uh, you know, imagine you're listening to, um, you're listening to some poppy kind of dance song, right? And you're, and you're, and you're feeling it and you're moving along and you're listening to the song. And then all of a sudden it starts to go into this country music. But it's the same song, same lyrics, kind of yeah. relatively same beat, but it's all country now mm-hmm. with twang and everything. And then you're <laughs> kind of like, all right, okay. Like you're not totally against it yet. Maybe you hate country, but maybe you're like, okay, like maybe this is going somewhere. And then all of a sudden it goes into heavy metal. And then, and then like it takes all of those elements and tries to kind of make heavy metal dance pop with country twang. And you're just kind of like confused, you know, like there's yeah. nothing to really connect to do anymore. I dance to this. Do yeah. I? Yeah. And so like in a lot of ways, like if you know, if you're using the music analogy, just if you're making a dance song, make a dance song. If you're making a country song, make a country song. It's a heavy metal, make heavy metal. But like, don't think that you have to do them all that that's going to somehow make it better. It's that's going to make it worse. That's what's going to ruin it. You know, like I think like, you know, people will do this all the time. They're like, I'm going to make a rom-com like, but it's going to be a horror film, you know, but it's going to have emotional depth. And it's like, okay, first of all, (laughs) like, like, (laughs) it's just like, just pick a battle. There's like, like the whole thing about like people laugh at rom-coms and say, oh, rom-coms are like, you know, they're, they're silly or they're no good. But like, it actually takes a certain kind of skill to do every type of movie. Yeah. And like, if you start like doing everything, you'll probably do none of it. Well, it's better to just do one thing really, really well. Yeah. And then maybe if you've done that so well, you can kind of figure out how can I add an, an element? I think the other thing too, is that people will say, Oh, well this, this person went and made this film and it didn't honor any genres. And you got to look at that and go like, yeah, but did they go out to like combine genres or did they go out because that was really authentic to them and they had a way of storytelling that just wasn't necessarily classified yet. Yeah. Like when I look at like Wes Anderson or someone like that, right? To me, his style is unique. There's a certain uniqueness to it. Now you can call it comedy. You can call it drama. It's not really dramedy, but it is kind of, Yeah. but like, I think the reason why that works is because there's an authenticity to that, but it's not trying to be anything. 
Well, I mean, and the thing is, is it's still telling, he still tells very simple stories, right? In, good, in good what point. he does. Yeah. I mean, and there's not to say that you can't mix genres. It has been done successfully, but again, it's like, does it still tell a very simple story? One that I can follow and connect to. I think of something like, um, uh, true romance, you know, that's kind of, that one's kind of a bizarre genre bending flick. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's great. It's mm-hmm. one of Tarantino's first scripts. He yeah. didn't direct it. It was Tony like, Scott. Was did. it Tony Scott who did it? Because he put, uh, he put all the blue in it. Right. Okay. That's what he does. But that was a romantic comedy. That was also a super hyper violent action flick. Yeah. As well. But it told, it still told a pretty simple story. Yeah. About two people who are in love with each other. Right. And kind of thrown into this crazy scenario. I think what it is, is, uh, with true romance is a good example of, it is a romantic comedy. Um, and what ended up happening is you throw it in a world of crime and violence and you go, how would this, how would this exist in this world? And then, and then they do it, but they can't, yeah. they, the, it's called true romance. Cause I mean, it's really about these two young kids trying to make it in, in this world. Um, in what happens to be kind of a violent, uh, you know, who come up with really fucked up situations mm-hmm. in their and, own and lives. And you create and, a scenario that's maybe not, uh, common in the, uh, rom-com scenario. Like basically what happens is they have like essentially like a briefcase of Coke or whatever, a bag of you know, cocaine. Yeah. And then, and then there's, and, and the other thing too is she's, um, she was a prostitute who was working for a pimp drug dealer played by an amazing Gary Oldman performance. (laughs) Holy shit. Oh yeah. That That was was bonkers. But that's not your (laughs) typical, that's not your typical rom-com. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, is I think, uh, I, I think that's the thing is like, you know, when you look at like Tarantino or someone like that, like, I think the thing is Tarantino, you can say what you want about him, but like he does Tarantino, like he does his thing. I don't, I don't think that, I mean, if you, if you listen to any of his quotes or read anything about him, he always talks about very simple things. He's like, just don't go to film school and make a film. He's like, you know, he just says very simple things. Like yeah. he, he has another quote, which I really like. He's like, if a million people watch my movie, I hope they watch a million films or something like that. Yeah. You know? Like he's, he's very much like, there's a, there's a certain, I've heard certain things about him being like egotistical or whatever, but like there's a certain kind of humility that he seems to have around film where it's kind of like, you know, very much keep it simple. Yeah. And I think a lot of things are like that. You know, it's like, don't even acting is like that. Don't, don't complicate it so much. Yeah. You know, like that's what gets us into trouble. Yeah. You can do so much. Yeah. Editing on yourself within, within acting and, and trying to eventually it comes to a place where you're just trying to control it way too much. Mm Mm-hmm um, where you don't actually have control of it anymore. Right. Which means where it's time to kind of let it go. So I think to, to bring this a a little bit back into what we're talking about here is, is, you know, um, the trouble of, of letting go of something, deciding that you're finished, you know, working on, on something, uh, especially within writing. I feel like that's, Right. And, and from, uh, and from the tweet that we received from Laney, uh, 
it seemed that writing was kind of what she was referring to as well. Um, because yeah, it is one of those things where eventually you have to, you have to just put it out there. You've got to like, whereas there's a, there's a degree to which with other, other mediums, there's still some, some room to play to a degree within acting. You can, you can play from take to take eventually like, yes, something has to be shot or something has to be put up on stage and it's going to be what it's going to be. Uh, same thing with music. Like you can, there's a lot of musical artists, you know, you do a record, you have to record a version of the song, right? Like it's just, it has to be put down, recorded and, and released, but then you'll see them do kind of like a different take on it in a live performance or sure. something. Right. So there's sometimes that it, it's not always quite so complete in, in that sense, um, with, with in other ways, but with writing, especially in film and stuff like you've, you've got to kind of like put it out there and now you've got other people who've got their hands on it and they're going to do their thing with it. Here's my advice to anybody across every board, across any art, across any job, any career, entrepreneur, doesn't matter. Here's my advice. Do one thing exceptionally well. Mm. Let me repeat that. Do one thing exceptionally well. Do not Swiss army knife yourself. Mm. I don't use a Swiss army knife to do most jobs. A Swiss army knife is to me, I have it in my backpack when I go for a hike, because if there's a problem, if I need it and I maybe like, I don't want to carry my bottle opener and I don't want to carry my scissors and I don't want to carry my knife and I don't want to carry all that other stuff. It's a good compact way and it'll get me by in a pinch, but it's not what I'm going to choose first choice. Like if someone says, do you want to have this K bar knife, which is basically the knife that the, you know, the military uses, or do you want to have a Swiss army knife? And what I need to do is cut some rope. I want the K bar knife. I don't want your Swiss army knife. That thing is shit. It's going to take forever. So when you make a script or you do anything or you act, don't be a Swiss army knife, be one thing exceptionally well. And it goes like, if you're an entrepreneur, it's the same thing. Do one thing exceptionally well. Now here's the thing. People go, well, well that's, is that enough? I don't know if that's enough and whatever. And like someone's already that and how do I compete? Well, look, you don't have to be the best at it. You just, I, all I said was do it exceptionally well. You don't have to be the best. That's different. You just have to do it exceptionally well. Then once you do one thing exceptionally well, you can add another element that you do exceptionally well. And then you can do two things exceptionally well. Yeah. And then eventually once you do two things exceptionally well, you'll start to notice that they, they make the other, you know, kind of more difficult, right? Like you can maybe add a third, you can add complexity, but like, once you start trying to do everything, you do nothing. And I think this goes across the board. It doesn't really matter if you're a screenwriter or an actor or an entrepreneur, everything comes down to just, we all just want one thing. We want one thing that's exceptional. And, and, and you know what? We don't even want the best because that's the thing that people don't realize is that the difference between exceptional and the best is so minor that it's like, it really doesn't make a difference. And here's the difference that actually why most people will choose exceptional over the best. They'll choose exceptional over the best because if the best costs 10,000 exceptional only costs two. Mm. So like if you can, 
like you could go and say, look, I want to take film school from Quentin Tarantino or Martin Scorsese or Steven Spielberg, right? You could, you know, or James Cameron, let's throw in a Canadian. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you want to go do film school with them. Well, that's going to cost you a lot of money if, if you want them to teach you directly, but you might be able to ghost to someone who could teach you, who's not necessarily there and it's going to cost you a lot less, but you'll get relatively the same amount of value, maybe yeah. even more. Because the thing is, is that, um, like the best doesn't necessarily equate to the exchange. So like with your script, that's the other thing I wanted to say is that you have to stop editing it when it's exceptional, but you don't have to make it the best. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the best script ever, but like you'll find your standard, right? Like if it's a B movie, all it has to be is is good. It doesn't even really have to be good. Yeah. But if you want to make like, say something that's really going to stand out, you got to start going, okay, well, how do I make it exceptional? Yeah. We're doing a development. I keep talking about this project. We're doing development. The most recent thing we, you know, we had to talk and I brought this to the table because they said, look, I don't care if we come up with a hundred ideas and none of them work because all this takes is one good one. Yeah. So, you know, and we had a meeting, uh, you know, yesterday and I said, we, and, and the meeting was a total success because we figured out one thing that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And we're like, great. We figured out something that doesn't work. Now we know, but it took us to there to figure out that that doesn't work. And that's the thing is like part of your job, I think as a artist is, is mostly figuring out what doesn't work and finding small things that do work and then slowly figuring out navigating between the things that don't work and the many small things that do and finding a way to put all that together. So it works. And it's a little bit of cutting and adding and cutting and adding probably way more cutting than adding. Yeah. But eventually, you know, you have something and you go, okay, well this, this works. And that's, I mean, it's really, really simple. Mm -hmm. And, And yeah. And, and yeah. And I think that to touch on sort of like, I think the first point that we're getting out of this is yeah, simplicity. And I think you said it earlier, which is, and, and there's a part of that that comes down to trust as well is trusting that something simple can be extraordinarily profound. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, simplicity is a big part of being able to let it go that, that is something, yeah, very simple can be very effective. In fact, most of the time it's more effective than something that's trying to be way more complicated. Mm. Um, the other thing I think I want to get into, uh, with this whole thing of letting things go and moving on is, and, and within reference to, to writing and screenwriting is when do like when you reach, at least in my experience, when you reach a point where the changes that you're making, the edits that you you're making are like, now you're not making anything major in terms of the structure of the story that you're telling anymore. It's like, you're like, you've, you've got the, the core of it down and you've passed through it several times and everything is, is working. Like the story works, it, it moves, it flows you're not shifting around core elements of the story. You're not making changes to those sort of big elements that, um, that define sort of like your, these rock bottom moments and the climax and, and the character's main struggle. Like these things have all been set 
And now all the things that you're doing with the editing is like, you're, you're changing little pieces of dialogue. You're, you're simplifying maybe some of the, the action or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, that's all fine and good. But after you've gone through and done that a few times, you're pretty much at that point where you just need to now put it out there. Yeah. You're only rounding the edges. You're just, you know, smoothing it out. I mean, I think that's, but eventually you can, you can smooth it out too much. I'm going to like, just bring this, bring this out to you. Cause something I, I'm, (laughs) I'm now, you're a little too smooth. I'm now looking, um, (laughs) at doing just for myself because it's something that I have, I I realize I have an interest in doing is, you know, I've been, I've been playing guitar for, um, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years, something like that. And maybe even longer than that. Uh, and I decided I want to start learning how to, um, kind of set up guitars, not like for myself, because that would be a useful skill, but you know, it's something that I could, um, it's something I just have an interest in being able to, to craft an instrument, get it to play a certain way and, and, and feel right. And there's a certain, um, there's a certain uh, procedure is not the right word, (laughs) but there's a certain like thing you can do to a guitar, um, to make the frets smoother. Um, so like, you know, on the, on, for people who don't necessarily know the, the lingo, it's basically where you press the strings down on a guitar and you have all those like metal bars that run up on it. That's the, it's the frets. Now those pieces of metal can, um, get sharp. They can get worn and scratchy and stuff and, and it affects your ability to play it. So there's a thing that's called crowning or refretting or, or polishing them so that they don't catch anywhere. There's not some that are sitting higher than others that causes all kinds of little issues and and whatnot. Mm. The thing is, is that you can go too far with it. You can like, you can go too much. You can bring it down too much. And now you've created Mm. a whole other issue with it because you've polished it too much. You've rounded too many edges basically on the thing. So no, that makes sense. Cause then, you know, then you can't get the sound because it's just too close to the, you know, it can't yeah. differentiate. Right. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I think you got, I think there's really, there's really two concerns with editing. You, you have on, on one level, you have something that either works or it doesn't work. It's like very raw and very, um, crude, you know, you have a scene or a story or a concept that works or doesn't work. That's it. And so you go, does it work or does it not work? And if it doesn't work, and this is, I think the most important question you can ask yourself, especially in the film industry with uh, being a a filmmaker or a writer or producer is you either, you go either it works or it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, if it works good, you can move forward, you can polish and you can start doing all that. If it doesn't work, you only have one option, cut it. It has to go. Yeah. You have to rewrite it, cut it or rewrite it. I mean, there's really like, like rewrite it from scratch. I'm not talking like rework it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm talking like literally redo it. And 
I think this is the hardest lesson. And this is, this is another, like if I could, I should actually make a list of the things that I think separate a professional from an amateur, a Mm. professional will literally write a script and they will cut all of it and move on. Aaron Sorkin apparently shares the story about how like Robert Redford got him to write this script. And he wrote like this very raw, crude, um, story about this president who was dating and whatever, um, which is actually later got turned to a movie. Yeah. And it was like 400 pages. <laughs> and, and apparently this is what I heard. Robert Redford was like, I like this one scene. Like, let's make the whole movie about that. So he, re- <laughs> he cut 300 and X something pages. And apparently Sorkin from, this is from the master class. Apparently Sorkin's like, and I know what I'm doing, <laughs> but I cut like 300 yeah. something pages. Like, you know, because, you know, and, and I mean, he's obviously a prolific writer, but the movie ultimately ended up getting made, not even by Robert Redford. Was that the movie with like, uh, with like, uh, Michael Douglas? I, I think so. Or, or and, something uh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So anyway, the movie ended up getting made, but like the, the point was, ultimately that he was willing to get rid of everything and, and, and redo it from one thing. I mean, I never heard that story before Mm -hmm. I did this, but I knew that to be true because my script, the burning blues got like, it's, uh, I mean, technically we're in, we're in kind of a green, green light, what I call green light purgatory. You're not really green lit, but you're kind of like sitting on development, green light. And you're like, you're not green lit. Basically, Greenlit shouldn't even be in it, but it's basically purgatory. Mm-hmm. And what I found out with that whole thing was like, I had my script and it was getting good feedback. And I was like, okay, there's only one scene I really like out of this whole draft. Like when I look after what I've learned and what I've realized, so I cut everything, kept the one scene and rewrote it again. And then I got really great feedback on that script. And then a whole bunch of other issues came up, but like the script was substantially better. And Mm -hmm. now where it's being edited to, like when it finally gets to this next stage is really interesting to me because like it took almost writing it like three times and really just erasing the whole script and like writing it again. And even the script scene that was there that got kept into this one, um, almost 100% will not be in the newest version. So the newest version will be entirely different script than the original 100% whole new script. But I think what separates me from a professional is that I'm willing to let go of everything I've written and start again. Mm -hmm. And I, and that's the most important thing. Separates you from an amateur separates me from an amateur. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm better than a professional. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, but separates me from the professionals, what separates me from the professionals and makes me a fucking hack. (laughs) Um, but no, what separates me from the amateurs. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing is like, not only are you, not only are you going to create better work, but you're going to be easy to work with because like, I think that, and, and you know what, I'm sure we can verify this. If we started interviewing real producers who actually produce work, their number one headache with writers is writers are too fucking attached to the writing. Mm. And like the producers trying to say like, this doesn't work. And they're trying to do it in a nice mindful way and whatever, like 
as a consultant, as a writing consultant, I'm seeing this all the time. Writers yeah. are so fucking attached to their work. It's like, just let it go and rewrite it. Like yeah. how long does it take you to write a scene? I mean, you can write a scene, a three page scene in 30 minutes or an hour. Like it's not going to take you long. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially if you've already developed the characters in the story, it's going to happen so easily. Yeah. So like just erase it and do it again. And don't ever think that the first time you wrote the scene is going to be the same the second time. Yeah. You know, so that, that's one thing. If you want to ruin your script, don't work with stuff that doesn't work. Like if it doesn't work, just be honest with yourself, cut it, save yourself a whole heartache, headache, and then just restart and do it. And if it does work, then we're going to talk about polishing. Yeah. And I, I'm on like a little side note into what you're saying too, is like, if you're, if you're a writer, especially if you're a, a screenwriter, um, I mean, for one, you're a screenwriter because you want to see your, like your stuff get made right? Like you don't want it to just sit in script form. I mean, you make a script for it to be turned into a movie. Yeah. Like this is the ultimate goal. And that's not to say you shouldn't stick to your guns on some levels, but also a thing I think is important to, uh, is a big misconception. I think of a lot of, you know, the way that writers, uh, see producers and there is a big, sort of mistaken stigma about what producers are like, you know, producers are just, you know, they're, they're just looking to make money. They don't really give a shit about like, yeah, these are about, the misconceptions like, about, yeah, yeah, misconceptions about how, you know, they don't really care about the story being good and they don't really care. No, it's like from most producers that I've met and talked to, and I've been to like some like talks as well with, and seen major producers who've worked with like a list talent and done the best stuff. They give a whole ton of fucks about making a, <laughs> like about making a great movie. Yeah, they really do. And it's important to listen. It's important to listen to what's being said, the concerns that are being expressed because they have a kind of insight and knowledge into what makes a, a good film, what makes, um, a, a film that, that people want to see. Yeah. Right. And yeah, like it's there, are, I'm not going to say all producers are, are wonderful and have everything like all the best interest and the integrity of it at heart, but most of them do, do care and are workable, you know, like they want to work with you and they want to create something that's great. I think um, so. So it's like, so don't be so, all I'm saying is like, don't be so fucking like protective and, or precious or precious about it, you know, and, and, and take some feedback. If you have, if there's a producer who's like really done stuff and has, is making things and they take an interest in, in what you're doing, then fucking listen to them. Yeah. Give, well, and I mean, and, and hear it, hear, hear it from their values. Like you, you, you can always ask why. I mean, like if someone gives you feedback and you go, well, I don't know about that. Ask them why, like, why do you want, why, why are you suggesting this? Why this? Because you don't just have to like take, take it as it is and be like, Oh, I have to do that. Cause they told me yeah. like, I think this is, this is just a problem in our society in general. Like people don't ask why. I mean, you know, I was always that kid in school when, when a teacher or something like I would sometimes piss them off a little bit, but I would always be like, 
if I didn't understand why they wanted something done, I would ask why. Yeah. And if they could give me a good reason, no problem. But if they couldn't, I was like, I don't, you know, no, I'm like, to me, I was very yeah. defiant against like anybody who was just like, no, just do it. Cause I told you to, it's yeah. like, that's not a good reason. That's not why I'm going to do it. Like if someone just tells you to do something because they told you to do it, then you don't have to do what they say in my opinion. And I yeah. don't think you should because I think that's out of integrity. Yeah. But if someone can say, look, I want you to do this because this is my thought on it. You can hear them out. And I think the thing is, is like people get like, I like, and I'm, and as a consultant, I work with both producers and artists. I mean, I'm basically the middleman. I'm like the mediator. And what I'm finding is that both people value the, the, the project, but they just value different things. So like mm-hmm. the producers are looking at it going, is and this... some of them would be the same too. Well, yeah, some of them. Yeah. A lot of them are the same actually. Yeah. And in fact, the, the ones that are different are very few, but like, you know, it, it, on average, I experience the producers as being a little bit more like, can we pitch it? Can we market it? Can we sell it? Can it make money? Um, you know, is it simple? Is it clear? Is it unique? have I seen this before? That's a lot of what they're concerned about. Yeah. The artists are more concerned about things like the character and having like a cool event and having and the like theme. And what is this saying? The story, the message. Know? Yeah. And whatever. And so really both people want, want all of it to come together. And I think you've got to just pick your battles. Like as a writer, don't just be like, no, I want to do it my way. Go like, this is why I think we should do this. Yeah. And then the producer can say, well, you know, this is why I think we should do this. And you can, you can ask the next question, which is well, like, is there a way and we could both win? Is there a way we could get both, both things here? Like, what could we do? Yeah. Because I think what ends up happening is people just get defensive. Like, you know, I, I, I was doing this one consultation, which I, I ended up, uh, I ended up, it's the only job I've ever, um, just said, look, I'm not doing it. I'm like, this is a dead end project. It's not going to work right. Because it just got to the point where it was, you yeah. know, I told you a little bit of the details, but like the, the writer was not willing to work with the producer. And it's like, well, or you really, or, or me. And, 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 and I'm like going, well, you can be, you can be justified in your own way, but like, it's not like they're coming in. Like this person seemed to interpret it. Like the producers are coming in and making them change their project. It's like, like, look, there's a reason why you need the producer. I mean, otherwise you would raise the money, but like, you don't understand the problems that the producers are having. And like, I think it's a, one thing that's really neat about being a consultant is you start to see both sides of the picture really well. And, um, you know, or I'm beginning to see both sides of the picture. And what I've seen is like, like sometimes a story, if you kind of like have any type of pulse on the industry, you just know it's like, it has a major flaw. It's not going to work. You know, it's too cliche. It's too whatever. I mean, I'm not saying it could never be made, but it'd be made like a B movie. Like it would be made like something that would just be some kind of really real piece of garbage that just would get like, maybe sold on a, I don't even know if we get distribution, but it, like, it's just, it's, it's nothing special. Yeah. And then the thing is, is that you got these producers and if they want to raise millions of dollars for something, it needs to have, it, it needs to have a certain kind of quality to it. You know, hold on. James Cameron, I think it was said, no, no, it wasn't James Cameron. It was another very famous director, Linklater. I don't know. I, I don't okay. remember who it was, but he said, look, 
If you're making a film for 1.6 million, it doesn't have to be a cultural phenomenon to be successful. Yeah. And that's a really good quote. I mean, if you're making something for a million or under 2 million or under five, even it doesn't have to be a cultural phenomenon to actually work. Yeah. So that's good thing to keep in perspective as a writer. But if you start to get over the 2 million, 5 million, 10 million and more, it kind of needs to have like, it needs to have something about it that like is going to make it stand out. There's just too much content. Yeah. And so like, that's what the producers are being mindful of. And they're like, and I, I think that writers, when they get, um, when they fight with producers, I think it's so silly. Cause it's like, do you understand that the money doesn't come from a tree? Like that there's investors who have put putting their life savings into this that are like, that they don't want to lose all their money. Like, don't you understand that like someone's taking a risk and you get the luxury of being the person that gets to pen this shit? Like, don't you yeah. see that that's pretty fucking special that we don't all get to do that. And like, even us who do don't get to do it a lot. Yeah. And like, I, I just, I think that there's this sometimes with the artist, this, this out of reality side of like the business yeah. at the same time, you are the authority of the story. So bring your points of view and your integrity, but bring good reasons. Why don't just do it. Cause I like it or cause yeah. I don't want to have to rewrite it. That's not a good reason. Yeah. I think it's about to a degree, keeping some of your, um, idealism in check because some of your ideals yeah. are based on false perceptions to a degree, like in, in the case of how you, um, how you approach or, or work with other people, especially like people in like a production, um, position, you know, sometimes it's like the problem isn't actually what's happening. It's what you think is happening. Mm. Um, and also I think it's like the, this ideal, uh, idealism can, we did a talk on idealism and stuff. That was a good one too. Mm, Um, Idealist and the realist. But, uh, I think it plays a big role in, in what we're talking about here. Um, in terms of, yeah, like getting, getting really too precious about everything that's going on, trying to control it a bit too much and, and being too much of a perfectionist with what you're doing because perfection is to me is, is masturbation. Mm. You know, it's, it's, uh, at, at the end of it, like <laughs> you're really only pleasing yourself at, at the end of the, at the end of the day. And even, even that's arguable and, and, you know, it's more, it's more fun with a friend is all I'm saying. Uh, and, but like it's perfectionism is one of those things. It's just, it's kind of, it's, it's a little bit fruitless. Um, because you, you will never really know what perfection is. Mm Mm-hmm. You, you never, like, there's never going to be a point where you're like, yes, it is perfect. No, exactly how mm-hmm. it is. And even if you think it's perfect, someone else won't, someone yeah. else will think it could, you know, have work. And like, there's always going to be blind spots. I mean, you know, and I want to go back to that, that quote, and I wish I remember who, who said it, but, um, it was like, it sounded like Richard Linkletter. You said you did like yeah. dazed and confused and I don't, I feel like it wasn't him. It's funny. Cause I just read it today, but it was like, uh, it was a really good quote about, about filmmaking and budgeting. Mm. But he, the quote was that like, uh, 1.6 million, it doesn't have to be a cultural phenomenon. The reason why I want to bring that up again is like, 
let's just say that it costs $15 to see a movie. Okay. Let's assume everybody pays who actually goes to see it. 1.6 million, $15 per person. Just do the math. How many people have to see your movie before it makes back the money that was spent on it alone? Yeah. Then how many people have to have to see it on top of that so that it actually makes money so that it was worth the 18 months or two years or three years it took to actually get it made. So all the people can make a full year's salary or a full salary on doing this project or whatever Yeah. can be fully paid. How much money, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, and, and, and we're not just talking about the people who are like the crew who get paid for their hours and their days, but we're talking about the people who invested their money and like what they could have gotten if they, if they put it into a bank, like my brother right now is a financial planner. He's getting my, my mom right now with, cause he's, he's a whiz at this. He's getting her 16% on her money, 16%. So if she puts her money away for, for a year, she gets 16% right now on that money. If she put her money into a film, I need to, in my film, then I need to make sure that she can get 16% or more. In fact, she needs more because it's high risk in a film, but with the investment, it's a lot less risk. So I have to equate for the risk as well. So like, so now you got a $1.6 million film plus that. So like the thing is, is that that's a $1.6 million film, you know, as, as, um, this filmmaker suggested. Now, if it's a $10 million film, do the math. How many people have to see at $15, assuming everybody paid and didn't download your film? Yeah. How much do they have to, how many people have to see it? And then people bring in the argument of go, well, you know, okay, there's Netflix and there's all this other stuff. It's okay, great. But like, do the math, start to figure out the numbers. You'll start to see it's an incredible amount. So it requires a massive amount of people to get involved in this film for it to be financed for, you know, and, 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 and so there's, and the the point that I want to bring up is that the people who are crunching the numbers, who are the producers, if they are worth their salt, they're looking at this and they're trying to measure and equate whether the film will work with these and they don't know. And it's scary. And like, just imagine you put all of your life savings. Let's say you, you know, you made a hundred thousand dollars in savings or a million dollars in savings and you put that all into a film and it lost all its money. Yep. Could you imagine, like, could you imagine now? I mean, it's like, it's one thing, even if you're, even if you have $10 million and it's only one of your million, even if you're a hundred millionaire, I mean, it still would hurt. You know what I mean? And so like, I think that artists just need to need to consider the business industry side of it so that you can understand where the feedback's coming from. And the other thing too, is I think that the producers they're not necessarily experts on character and theme and those types of things. And that's where the writer, that's where you really want to become an expert. And you want to work with producers who you can trust, who, who you believe are going to have a good, fair knowledge about Mm -hmm. the business side of it. And not all producers do. And so like, we all got to bring something to the table and we're all, it's a marriage. We're all trying to figure out how to make this work. And like, I think at the end of the day, and this kind of comes back to the question of like, how do you get to the point where you ruin it? You get to the point where you ruin it, where you take too much control and you become too perfect and too precious about it. Or 
you never ship it or share it because like, because of that, or you ruin your deal because of that. You really just got to, at a certain point, you got to be like, okay, I have an awareness about this. Keep listening to this podcast. You want to understand the film industry? Just keep listening. Like I'll, I'll talk. I've talked for hours about it. I'm telling you like everything I wish I knew when I was 18. Like if, Mm -hmm. if I had me around telling me this shit, man, fuck, I could have done things like five or six years earlier, maybe 10. Cause the thing is, is like, I'm telling you exactly like as best I can tell you from, from how things kind of work, you can kind of come into it with an understanding and not all this kind of, I don't know, like maybe, maybe things have changed. But when I was younger, no one could give me a fucking straight answer about how the business of this shit worked. Maybe if you live in LA, maybe if you live in like one of the major cities, maybe you're around, um, enough people, but I would say for the vast majority of people I've met, we're all walking around going, I don't understand how this fucking shit works. I think I do but I don't really. And I know I don't really, but I think I do, but I don't know. Yeah. And it sucks. Cause you don't know, but like what you just need to see is like, there's basic, simple, simple things. Everybody's on the same team. People have different values and, and they value different things about the film. And all of you guys are coming together as experts in your own area and trying to figure out how to communicate to each other so that all the values and all the expertise are actually meeting if one person says, no, it's my way or the highway, you fuck the whole system up. Yeah. And then that's how bad films get made. Right. And then when you talk about someone like Scorsese or someone like that, or whatever, like these, these Spielberg, they're so experienced at this point that they have worked with so many people that they've probably developed at least from what I've read and seen of them, a certain type of mastery of the whole under a holistic understanding. But like for most of us who are young and just beginning, we just don't have that experience yet. Yeah. And like, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty experienced, but like I have so much to learn. Yeah. But like what I always try to come back to when I have that thought, cause it's daunting. Like, and I, I would say any professional that's very real will say the same thing. It's like, if they're, if they get really honest with you, they'll probably say that like they work with really good people and they rely and they trust those people because they don't know everything. What they're really saying is like, I have people I trust Yeah, to help me with that. And, um, really like work with really great people, let go a little, you know, and you got to have some trust at a certain point. And you know what? You might trust someone who doesn't know. And that's just life. I mean, yeah, you know, we get into relationships like that. We get into like dating relationships like that. We get into friendships like that. We get into business like that. Do your best to try and do your due diligence and be aware, you know, find allies on your side who will help explain stuff to you. And, and, and they don't want anything out of it. You know, they're not trying to, they don't have some kind of vested interest in getting something out of you yeah. for it. And, 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 you know, and, and don't listen to fucking gossip either. That's another thing. You want to ruin mm. your script? Listen to gossip. Start listening to what people say is hot or doesn't work or whatever. My brother said something to me once, and this is the last thing I'm going to say on this whole topic, but it relates to everything. Yeah. He said, if the parking attendant starts telling you about what stocks to choose, sell. Because <laughs> <laughs> they shouldn't know. You know what I mean? If, if the average Joe is starting to tell you what stock's hot or what's works, don't like that's, that's bad news. Cause that means like, cause, cause the one thing about like, like the stock market's kind of like one of those things, like anybody who knows about the stock market knows that 
once everybody's talking about it, it's already too late. Yeah. It's, it's something that usually few know because the few who know are paying attention. And so like the film industry is a lot like that too. It's like a stock. You got to kind of pay attention. No one can tell you what to do. Like if someone starts telling you horror movies are hot, start looking elsewhere. Cause yeah, that's what everybody's going to start doing now. And that stock is going down, you know? Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like that. Like it's, it's, you know, you, you kind of got to just get good people around you who you can trust and don't listen to gossip of like every Joe blow, every writer or every actor, or every filmmaker yeah. and what they're talking about. Most of them know Jack, Yeah, you know, and like find some trusted sources, hear their information, go out for yourself, do some research, try and verify it. Yeah. Right. And ultimately still trust yourself and trust yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's take a, a commercial break, commercial break here. <laughs> Why don't you, uh, tell you, what tell, the- tell you, tell me what you think about this beer. Well, sir, it's a little hoppy. Yep. Um, so I'm guessing it is a IPA or, or a, what is it? Um, IPA or maybe like, a. I essay. I don't know, whatever. I don't, I really know the terms, but it's definitely hoppy. It's got a little bit of a malty taste to it as well. Um, which is nice. Um, it's a, it's bitter. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. You know, I've been enjoying it. I like it. Uh, I definitely like, um, for a hoppy bitter beer, I, I've definitely been enjoying it. It's a little bit of a slower drink for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not what I would personally lean to most of the time, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, no, it's good. I mean, it's like sharp cheddar, you know, yeah. it's just kind of like, bam, there you go. Here's yeah. a drink. <laughs> Absolutely. So what are we yeah, doing? This with? is, this is one that I've had this beer before. Um, but we've never had it on the show. Okay. And every time I've had this beer, I know I was kind of rolling the dice with this. I'm like, every time I have this beer, it just totally sets me on my ass. And yeah, it's not one that I necessarily gravitate towards, but I'll have every now and then. Hmm. So this is from Phillips brewing, uh, in, uh, in Victoria, Hmm. British Columbia, Canada. And this is called their amnesiac. Amnesiac. Right? Amnesiac. It's and it's a double IPA. Oh, I can't see that. It is a double IPA. Um, so it's super strong. It's eight and a half percent. And um, double IPA. All right. Yeah, yeah. So it is. Uh, it's pretty. It's pretty saucy. <laughs> it says strong beer at the bottom. And the, I always love, they, they have such great, um, I love how they, how they brand their stuff and their images and stuff. Um, the, it's very psychedelic. Yeah. This one's got the elephant on it and the, uh, bush of hops and stuff like that with the, and, uh, their write-ups too. It says beyond the cave of hypnos and up the river of forgetfulness, you will find our original IPA's big gnarly brother, craft brewed enlightenment and a profound dose of hoppy citrus awaits you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, it's, it, it's, um, well, it's good. I, yeah, the, the double IPAs I find they're generally like they, they, uh, yeah, like they're super strong in the hop, like you would with 
in a regular IPA, but they've got a kind of this malty richness to them. I'm not entirely sure why that is. I haven't researched enough into double IPAs, but my experience with them is that they're generally a little bit sweeter uh, tasting than than just a standard IPA. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they, I, they, speaking that it's eight and a half percent, I mean, um, I didn't really notice the high alcohol content, which to me, when a beer has a high alcohol content and I'm not really noticing that, um, in the taste of it, I think is a good sign. Yeah. So they found a good balance with it, you know, to be able to have it like, you know, a double IPA, right? Like, yeah. Cause sometimes you'll have these like high percentage beers and you can really taste the alcohol. And I, yeah, I don't like that. Like personally, like maybe some people do. I don't know. It's not for me. I like it when I feel like I'm drinking a regular beer, but it has that high caliber kick. To yeah. It. That's all right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's good Phillips. All right. We're, we're hitting the Island more. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've been trying to hit up some of the, uh, yeah. the Island ones here. <laughs> Um, so yeah, getting back into this, uh, into this whole conversation about when to let, when to let your work go, when to let it go, when to let it go. When I, I think another thing, and we were kind of on this, um, is if you have some people you trust, you can let it go a little more. Like, cause you can trust that they're going to have your back, that they're going to yeah. kind of look for the best thing. I think a sign of not being willing to let go is that you don't trust the people you're working with, which begs the next question. Why are you working with them? If you don't trust them, why are you working with them? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think everything comes down to trust ultimately, you know, you got to trust your, yourself, yourself. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. Trust your partners. I mean, if you're in a relationship, it all comes down to trust. If you're in a friendship, it comes down to trust. And like, I think sometimes we don't trust cause we, we try to protect ourselves preemptively from getting hurt. But I think that if you, if you spend your life trying to be safe and protecting yourself from being hurt, you'll never really do anything great. Mm. There has to be a point where you let go a little bit and you, you know, you, you open yourself up to the potential hurt or downfalls that could happen. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's like little sayings that you can use to, to do this better. But if someone shows you who they are or tells you who they are, believe them. Right. Yeah. If someone, if someone does something or, or says something that you go red flag, believe that that probably is somewhat accurate about who they are. Doesn't mean you don't trust them. Here's the other thing I want to say about trust is that if you know not to trust somebody, you actually trust them. Yeah. Because you trust not trusting them. So that is a form of trust as well. Eventually you have to get to a point where you feel that you have a certain kind of data. Like when people say, I don't trust, they do themselves a disservice in my opinion, because like they go, I don't trust anybody. You basically said, I'm going to live a small life and never achieve my dreams. The moment you start saying that, yeah, because you, it's not that you don't trust. You always trust. It's just a matter of what you trust. You might not trust the way you want to trust. Yeah. Then there's the other side of things. And I just want to add this in, and this has been a big thing for me recently which is faith, which is when you don't have data on people, but you have a certain optimism, a certain faith that things will work out a certain way or pessimism, but I'd say go with the optimism when it comes to faith. But faith is kind of like, you know what? I don't have enough data and there's no way to get enough data, but I'm going to go into it with the hope, with the 
optimism that something good can come out of this. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Faith is a little bit more of a high risk stock. You know, it's a little bit more like it could go south yeah. a lot more likely than trust. You know, if you have trust, you kind of have a little more data, a little more accountability. Faith is like, you know, I'm taking a risk here. Go in, know you're taking a risk. And you know what? If it doesn't work out, you win and taking a risk. That's okay. But we, you know, I think if you have big dreams and big goals, you got to have some faith. You got to take some risks. And you know what? Some of these risks are not going to work out. Sometimes faith is not going to, uh, work out. It's not going to turn out the way you want it. Don't make faith wrong for that. It's not faith's fault. It's the faith that you had was good. You get more life experience from faith. Sometimes faith you, you know, you had faith in the wrong thing, faith in a bad thing, faith in a thing that was, you know, uh, not an in integrity, but you'll be better the next time you apply faith. But I think sometimes people just write off faith altogether. And that's something that I did for a period in my life where I kind of wrote off faith and I'm, I'm repairing it in a lot of ways where I'm, I'm going back to where I was when I was younger. Cause one of the things that really helped me when I was younger was I had a lot of faith. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy to have faith when you're young because you don't have a lot of world experience and you just hope for the best and you're very optimistic. <laughs> you haven't seen you haven't exactly how brutal and shitty certain realities can be. Right. <laughs> but to build faith again, to build it back, but when you get older um, and more life experience and more wisdom, I think that's where people can really shine. Yeah. Um, and I think that I'm, a, I'm, I'm kind of an example of that, actually, because you know, for my writing career and certain things to have worked out the way they've worked out, I had to have a certain amount of faith. And, um, you know, and I think like, it's always a gamble. Every relationship I get in, every business partnership I do, there's a certain amount of faith that's required. Yeah. And I tried to go without faith for a little bit. I'll tell you, it just crushed my dreams and it made my life small. Um, it's not worth it. It's, it's not worth it. It's better to take the risk. And you know what? you'll fail greatly. And that's a lot better than not even yeah. fucking being in the field of the game. You know? yeah. yeah. This whole thing of, of trying to protect ourselves, Yeah, which is where, um, I think also a lot of this, this whole thing of, of continuing to, to edit, you know, and continuing to like, it's, it's a protection thing. And what we're trying to protect is, is really just our, our egos mm-hmm. at, at the end of it all. Our fear of being hurt or being being hurt and being wrong. Yeah. All this, all this kind of crap. And I mean, like all, all it is, is just a bunch of shit. That's, it's a bunch of seemingly logical reasons to not go after what we want Mm -hmm. to not like really put ourselves out there. Um, yeah. And I think that that's where, where we need to really see what this whole thing of the, the perfectionistic side of this editing process and, and trying to understand when do you let this go? When do you put this out there? When do you finally say, okay, I'm done. I'm done with this. Mm. Right. Because to a degree, even when you're done with it, you're not entirely done with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's you, for, like within screenwriting, it's like, I, and I think what, what the topic was, how it was presented to us. It's like, how do you know when it's just done for yourself? Right. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's done for yourself when there's really like now it's like, it's becomes a a nitpicking type of thing with what you're working with. You got to put it out there and the work will then continue 
from there because now you're going to be working with somebody else who's going to be saying like, well, I have some thoughts on this and, and now you, you were, but now like you've moved, you've transitioned to that next step. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for yourself, when you're, when you, you have this project, you're, you've built this thing when you, you have, I think it comes to a certain am- amount of self-awareness when you realize that, okay, what am I really trying to do now at this point? I mean, I've written this thing. I've done a couple of edits. I made significant changes to it within that period of time. I'm not making any really significant changes to this story anymore. Like it's, it's kind of here. So now what am I doing by going back through it over and over and over again? What am I really trying to achieve? And it's really, in my experience, that is, that is just me trying to protect myself, Mm. you know, trying to make something, you know, beyond criticism, right. Which is, I mean, and, and I've done that within my acting. We just recently at uh, the weekend when we did the mastery, that was something that like, I, I still confront. Yeah you know, we presented, you know, we did these monologues for, for everybody. And, and it was still, and it was something that I was very much aware of. It was like, I still wanted to just be able to go up, do my monologue and (laughs) be like, bam, like (laughs) done, nailed it. Yeah. That's it. And we don't actually really want that anyhow. I mean, the moment that we become completely complacent with everything. I mean, we're kind of dead in the water. I mean, there's what's, what's left to do. Um, but there's a difference between being unnecessarily like harsh and being and unnecessarily, um, editing and splitting hairs. Like we just, we get locked down and changing mundane things. Like you're just making sideways moves at this point. Like there's, you're not necessarily moving forward or backwards. Just like it's, it's, it's just different. It's just a little bit different than the thing that it was before. Mm. And when you have the recognition that that's the process that you're in, when you're just kind of like going through that, it's like, let it go. Mm. Now's the time to take this thing to its next stage, which is basically putting it in front of somebody else's eyes, Mm. getting somebody else involved because you can only take yourself so far Yeah, with it, right? Like everything. And again, especially if we're talking this thing of film, that's massive collaboration. You just need to watch the fucking end credits of anything <laughs> to know that this is not something that anybody did on their own. Right. And also like one bit of feedback from one person is not like, you know, is not mean that you need to take that feedback either. Like, yeah, you know, it's like, that was something that was talked about in the mastery as well Is like, if you get one thing from someone, don't like get focused on it. If several people say the same thing, then you might start to consider that there might be some validity to that, you know, like, and I mean, I think that that's, you know, I don't know, like when you make a film and you put it out in the world, you're going to have critics, like, you know, you're going to have people who are going to give feedback, whether you like it or not, they're just self-proclaimed movie 
um, authorities in their own mind, you know, yeah. and they're going to, they're going to be like, Oh, this movie was great because of this, or it was shitty because of this or whatever. And, and like, you're never going to escape feedback. And I think that, um, perfectionism is like a trying to avoid feedback. And it's also, it's basically protection. It's like, well, if I'm perfect, then I'll just be safe. I'll be protected. And then to the need to be safe and the need to be protected implies that there must be a fear. Mm-hmm. Right. So like not always, but I'd probably say most of the times, like, well, what are you scared of that you feel you need to protect yourself from? And so like, I think that's the thing when you get into like, where do I start ruining it? You start ruining it by playing it safe, by starting to protect yourself. I mean, you know, um, you know, I've written dialogue that was very edgy and very like, uh, you know, and I like some stuff I've written that I haven't even shown people yet, you know? And it's like, I remember this is one play that I've, I, I haven't completed, but I've written, I've showed people the first half or the first quarter of it. And it's fucking some edgy fucking dialogue. Like it's mm-hmm. inappropriate, you know? I mean, it's probably a good way to put it. <laughs> inappropriate like it. shit, but everybody's loves it. And they're always like, you need to make this for sure. You need to finish this play. Yeah. And I always find that so interesting because if I play it safe, they just be like, oh yeah, it's good but it's because it's inappropriate. That's what makes it so, but it's not like I was inappropriate just for the sake of being inappropriate, but I basically created a character that didn't have a filter that I would normally put on myself that would say things that I would be like, Oh my God, I'd be embarrassed if someone heard me say that yet as a writer, I can kind of get away with it with this character deep down in some ways, I kind of like, this guy's the antagonist, but I kind of agree with some of the shit he says. Like, yeah. but that's the thing when people read it, they do too. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we don't want to admit it, but like, that's why it's so funny because it's like, don't say that. That's not okay. But at the same yeah. time, I, I believe you and agree with you. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean, like, it's like, and I think that's like with, with writing and, and, and stuff and even acting, I mean, whatever, there's going to be a certain kind of part of it where I think that's what art allows us to do. It allows us to like, we don't have to be so politically correct all the time. Yeah. You know, we don't have to be so safe, but like in real life, you can't really say, um, the things all the time that you might think or feel because it would be inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And, And, but in a, in a play or in a, in a, in a script, you can let your characters do it. And you might actually find out that allowing them to do it maybe frees you of it. And you, you almost see how you almost see how violent or ugly or whatever it is. And you might like at least feel a catharsis and then it's out of you. And you're like, you're done. At least that's how I experience it sometimes because like, there's this part of me too. It's like, yeah, but this character is just lacking so much empathy. Mm. Right. But like, the thing is, is like, I could be embarrassed about that part of myself. Like I feel I'm pretty empathetic person, but like, if I, if I pretend that these things don't exist inside of me, then I'm just in denial. Yeah. But that's the thing about art. You can kind of like express it. And the nice thing about writing is you never have to show anybody the script. You can write it just for you. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And you know that, um, there was something you had said earlier that I actually want to swing back around. Um, about you're talking about like, Oh, um, things working or not like this doesn't work. 
Mm. Right. And being able to, to cut it and, and whatnot. Uh, it reminds me of, um, Elizabeth Gilbert, um, in her book, big, uh, big magic, mm. which is, I mean, I highly recommend this if you're creative in any field, like read this book. Um, but she talks about a book that she wrote. She's like, that will never be released. And this is after she had done like eat, pray, love, like after she'd already established herself as like one of the most successful authors in modern time. Uh, and she'd written this book and, uh, basically in her book, big magic, she talks about it and she says, it'll never be released because it just doesn't work. She's like, I have no idea why I've been over it and over (laughs) it and made edits to it. It doesn't work. Yeah. It just doesn't work. She put it in front of other people and whatever. And so you're just like, screw it. Moving on. Mm-hmm. She just decided to move on because she was like, it doesn't work. It does like, and I thought there was kind of a brilliance to that. You know, mm-hmm. it was just like, and, and it speaks to a lot of what we've been talking about in this conversation of getting super precious and, and about what, what we do and not being willing to just not let alone like throw out some of the ideas that we have within a body of work, but being able to just throw it completely. Yeah. Right. Being able to just say, you know what, the whole thing doesn't work and accept it as some kind of a creative exercise that was there for some other reason, Hmm. which I thought was very fascinating with the point that she had to make is like, yeah, like not everything you do is going to be something extraordinary. And she also, I've seen her do uh, a Ted talk about, uh, this whole thing of, uh, being able to match your success that you've, you've done in the past. She's like, well, she's like, don't you ever think about like being able to like do something as like impactful and whatever as you ever done? And she's like, well, yeah, of course I've thought about it, but I, what am I going to do about that? Right? Like I can't like, there's literally nothing you can do about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You had, you did something and it was a major success. Now you've just got to move on to the next thing. And it's basically from scratch. Yeah. You have no, like you do have a certain advantage in that people have said something about you've had a certain level of success with your voice. You know, people have heard something that you've, you've said, they've heard your voice and they say, I like that. And there's a good chance they'll come back to hear what you have to say again, whether it's subjectively as good or not as something you did before. That's how, how can you really know that for sure? Mm. You know, you've just got to move on to the next thing that you feel that burning desire and compelled to do. And from, from there it's out of your hands. Yeah. Yeah. I think also like in the, you know, some other advice I could give, cause it, we, we, we are talking about writing. Um, don't the one way to not be precious about your scripts is to plan to write several seven even, you know, or 10. And then one of those will get made and then just expect that you need to write about another 10 scripts and then another one will get made. And it's like, you know, um, if you, 
if like I see a lot of writers and they have one script, they just have one. And I think like, you know, you're going to bat with like all your eggs in one basket. Like if they don't like that one idea, you're SOL. Yeah. Cause I'll come in with 14 ideas. We're, we're not even in the same ballpark. And I mean, yeah. I, I look at my, my work and I go, man, I could do more, you know? Cause I know there's other writers who can come in with just a plethora of even more. Yeah. And they, and you know, and the thing is, is that that's the thing about not being precious about your work. I mean, if you really want to be a writer, like a professional writer is also prolific. Yeah. You're, you, you write and you write and you write and you write and then you just, you know, I'll just write a script. I'll put it on a shelf. I'll write a script. I'll put it on a shelf. You know, you and I started doing that when we were younger. Like I remember us joking about being like apathetic writers, like just getting to the point where it's like, yeah, like I got a horror, I got three horrors, you know, what kind yeah. of horror do you want? You know, <laughs> like I got this, you know, it's like whatever. Like, but the thing is, is I, I think that at any point, one of those scripts could be a, a masterpiece. Yeah. And maybe several of them will be masterpieces, but like it's, it's one thing to have a masterpiece. It's another thing for other people to see that you have a masterpiece. Yeah. Like, I mean, Mad Men took like a decade or something to get made. I mean, uh, Stranger Things almost took a decade, like eight years. I don't know to get made. I mean, a lot of these, these inception was yeah. 10 years to get that made. Totally. Avatar. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's like, there's so many things that have taken, they've had this massive journey since their inception and since the beginning, you know? And like, that's, I think as a writer, like you got to go like, okay, well like complete it. This is my, this was what I would give advice to writers. I'd say write a script, complete it, maybe give it an editor two or three or whatever. If you hit a point where you're like, I don't know what to do anymore. Shelf it. Just put it on the shelf and just trust that later in life, you will have the knowledge and awareness you need to get it made or to, to do the edits or whatever, or it'll be on the shelf for the rest of your life. It'll be a script that you wrote and who knows, but just let it be. Yeah. And then go on to your next script. Because I think that a lot of writers, um, basically flounder around rewriting a script that first of all, doesn't work, that they don't know how to fix, that they don't know how to do anything with. And meanwhile, all the time and energy they could have spent rewriting or, or writing a new script, I should say, they, they weren't doing, they were working on this one script that they had. And it's just the law of diminishing returns because like, you know, you just like, yeah, you're, you're sitting there and you're looking at a piece of dialogue and you're just like, now does he say can't or cannot? <laughs> yeah. Fucking move on. Yeah. If you're at looking that at it like point, that, yeah. Like nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody, <laughs> ca- nobody cares. Honestly. Like that's not coming up in like a meeting with the producers. She's like, Oh, there's this piece of dialogue where they say, can't, I feel like it should be cannot, mm. you know, like it's like, and if that's the type of meeting you're having, then I mean, <laughs> fuck, <laughs> like who cares? Yeah. Like, I just feel like, yeah, change it. Sure. Sure. Like what? Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> you want me to add a comma? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's the deal? Yeah. You know, like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's totally like that. I, you know, I, I think that's the thing is like, you, you won't be so precious if you like, instead of being precious, be prolific. And instead of, instead of being a perfectionist, be prolific. 
just always like every P word, go to prolific. Yeah. Write, 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 and just pump scripts out. And like, if you're not so precious, scripts become a lot easier to write. And here's the yeah. other thing I'll say is you're going to write a lot of shitty scripts because you're not going to be professionist about yeah. them. And you know what? That's what makes a professional. The person who writes the most shit probably wins yeah. in the end. Not the person who writes the most best stuff because the thing is, is that when you write enough shit there, I, I, like, I don't know how to explain it and, and I need to write more shit so I can even get better. But you write a certain amount of shit to the point where you actually get good because you can't write shit anymore because like everything you put out just is kind of good now. And then, you know, then good becomes shit. And then I, I, I have this theory that if I keep doing what I'm doing, eventually everything I write is just great. Yeah. And it's like hard to not write anything that's not great because I don't know how to explain it. But when you do something so much, you can't not be good at it anymore. Like, it's like you have to try to do bad. Yeah. Like, you know, like you, you have to try to make it shit because like you just know too much. You have too much practice. Yeah. It just becomes too habitual. And like, I think that's the thing. I think like, and everybody's trying to find a way to skip doing the work and the work is just like, write, And the hardest part is to write a piece of shit. Like any writer knows that. Like, I, I feel like this is terrible. Like when you start being like, yeah, this is terrible. And like, I'm just going to put it on the shelf. And then you start writing the next thing. It, I don't know what it is, but it's like, it feels so good to just like be done yeah. and move on, you know? And like, what's probably going to happen is your first script is going to be 95% shit or maybe 99% shit, but there'll be one thing in there that's fucking golden. Mm. And it was probably an inspiration you had. And then the next script you write, like 10% of it will be pretty golden, maybe. But 90% would be shit. And then you keep doing it, right? And by the time you write your 10th or whatever script, you get to the point where it's like a lot of what you wrote was really fucking golden. And there was like a good chunk of it that was shitty, but like it can all be ironed out because it's just a little bit. And here's the last thing I'm going to say about that. You know, we're talking about polishing if you're polishing a piece of shit, (laughs) it's still a piece of shit. shit. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and you gotta be like, you gotta like, like, and I think you just gotta have some humility about your writing and going, you know, this thing I wrote is a piece of shit. Like, and that's, it's just a piece of shit. Like there's no point in polishing it. Yeah. It's just a piece of shit. So like I've written stuff and I look back and I go, this is the most cliche common story. Like it's, there's nothing really original about it. Like I found originalities maybe in, but it's a piece of shit. And Mm -hmm. like, and I'll, I'll honestly just admit that. So I look and I go, well, like now I feel like I'm finally at a point in my career where I'm kind of bridging that line where my stuff is getting really interesting, where I'm actually coming up with really unique original Mm -hmm. ideas that are turning heads. But like I had to write a lot of cliche common ideas to get to this point. Yeah. I, I wish I could have just come out of the womb, like, you know, writing, being like totally original, unique yeah, ideas. I mean, we all wish that, yeah. you know, but Absolutely. whatever it took me until now to do it. Right. You, you, it's, it's, a, <laughs> you have to go through that. Yeah. You have to go through that. And, and the other thing is too, is like when you, with that recognition of that piece of shit that you did now you have to just like, okay, so what am I going to do with this now? Mm-hmm. It's like, do you, and really have like a real check-in with yourself. And when it's like, do I really want to make this into something that isn't shit? 
is there something here that I feel really compelled still has to be said and needs to be like, I need to rework this and make it into something that isn't shit. Right. Or do you just go, okay, you know what? It's a piece of shit. I see what I was trying to do with it. Didn't exactly work that way. Had some nice things. I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. And you never revisit it and you move on to the next thing. That's perfectly valid. I I like to talk and I always forget the guy's name, but Stephen King's son, who is also like a very successful writer these days, his first book was 10,000 pages. And he said, there's not a page of it that will be like published (laughs) for like, like uh, at least to make money. Yeah. You know, he's like, because it's terrible. It's a terrible book (laughs) and it's 10,000 pages. That's incredible. And he says, and, but, and, and I remember seeing this interview with him and he said, it's the best 10,000 pages I've ever written because I learned how to write hmm. within that. Uh, you know, I've heard that story before and, uh, uh, I, I probably told it to you. I heard it years ago. Yeah. Years I, and I years feel and years like ago. It's been repeated to me so many times. I mean, even Owen, uh, Lackinen, who's been on the podcast twice has told me about that story. And he talks a lot about Stephen King as well. And like, I really think that that is some of the best advice you could ever hear because that's really it. I mean, you just got to write and write and you, it's almost like I, you know, you could almost look at it like this. I almost see it like I got a lot of gunk in me. Like, and it's just gotta get, I gotta get all the gunk out on the page. And then once all the gunk is out, then I'm just like this clear machine that just works. Yeah. You know, something raw and real inside you. Cause you've cleared up. Yeah. You've cleared out all the stuff that was gumming up. Yeah. It works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, and, and I think like, um, if you want to succeed a little quicker in the film industry, one thing I would say is like, um, just start with a small thing, like, you know, go like, um, develop a character or concept or something small and just be like, just develop like a thousand characters. It sounds, sounds crazy. You develop 10 characters per day. You develop 10 concepts per day. You just sit down. That's your work. That's your job. And you do that for a hundred days, right? Or a thousand days or whatever, whatever it takes you do 10 a day. Well, you don't have to do t- whatever, but just do 10 a day, 10 characters, just create 10 different characters every day. And I'll tell you by the first 10 days, you're going to be like, I've created every character possible. And then you're going to start finding interesting characters. Yeah. Just the same with concepts, create 10 characters a day for 10 days. Watch what'll happen after you'll have a hundred concepts after 10 days. And you'll think like, fuck, I've created like so many concepts. And then you'll realize, cause I, I don't know what it is. I, I, there's no way to explain it until you do it, but then you'll see. And there'll be a point when you hit like around somewhere around hundred, maybe it'll be 70 for you. Maybe it'll be 140, but you'll hit some point where you get around there where you just be like, you'll tap into something that was not, you weren't aware of. Yeah. And that will be when you start doing interesting work. And then, you know, you keep doing more of that. Eventually you'll start coming up with stuff that's really, really unique because most people, um, I think what they do is they try to get it right on the first few tries. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes an amateur. An amateur is trying to get it done right away. A professional goes like, I'm just going to do this over and over until I figure out something about it. And like, I think that's just the difference. I mean, because most the first hundred characters you're going to come up with are concepts. They're all going to be cliche common ideas and, or they're going to be too far out there and too stupid and crazy that you're like, ah, this won't work. But then between the, 
all the cliche and the stuff that's too crazy, you're going to start to find a balance. You're going to start to find a spectrum and then you'll start to go, Oh, okay. Like yeah. I kind of get this now. I kind of see like, you know, like we, we were doing a development meeting last night and one idea was pitched that was like, that's prison break. And I was like, yeah, that's prison break in the future. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's prison break in the future. Okay. So let's great. We just called it out. We're like, yes. And, and, and our whole thing right now in the development meetings is there's no bad ideas. It's just, every idea is good, but like, it's the difference between a great idea and a good idea. It's not the difference between a good idea and a bad idea. It's a great idea. And so we just look at it this way. We look at like, there's ideas that are few and far between that are really exceptional. And what we got to do is we just got to get a lot of ideas out there and eventually we'll start to come up with a good one, a great one. And we have, we've, we've actually gotten a few like great ideas. We haven't quite put the puzzle piece together, but like I've been learning a strategy kind of through the osmosis of this development process, which I've never done development quite like this before, but I'm like, I don't think there's a better way. I think like, like pretty much it's free form because everybody's free to kind of go like, let's try this. What's yeah. this? And, and the feedback, nobody's precious about the idea. If someone goes, Oh no, that idea has already been done. It's this. It sounds just like that. Everyone's just like, Oh good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally. Cause now we don't have to worry about that anymore. Cause like, it's like, we just kind of, you know, instead of getting frustrated, we, everybody's like just going, okay, well there's another idea coming, but like sometimes a, an idea that seems kind of cliche or common actually leads you to another idea. Yeah. Like one of the things we had, I'll just share this cause I'm just kind of going, but we had a, our develop meeting last night, we had this realization that we said, anything that has to do with government or military is like no go We're crossing it out. No military or government ideas. And we had a big talk about it. And the reason why we decided that was because we were like, cause if it's military or government, there's going to have to be so much research and so much stuff just on getting all that right. Yeah. And and plus everybody goes military all the time. Like people are always doing that. So like, and, and we were just like, you know what? let's just make that a no fly zone now, which narrowed our focus. And we were like, let's make everything more personal. Cause that's really the story we're trying to tell. Right. We brought in uh, three, there's three comparative movies that we're, we're working with as like kind of, uh, uh, just kind of backbone kind of like, let's use kind of what they've done a little bit as a model. And what we realized, what we liked about those films, which we couldn't see until last development meeting was we liked the personal story about it. That's why we liked those, those concepts. Yeah. And so we, we kind of just kind of got to the point where we're like, okay, well, great. But it took us to this point to see that we couldn't see what, what we wanted until we tried enough ideas that we didn't want. So, yeah. So that was kind of neat. I'm just finding that like, it's just getting the gunk out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, I watched like the first part of a uh, Woody Allen documentary recently. Yeah. And, um, cause I really like his films. Like, I mean, like they're not all, well, I mean, cause like they're not all like amazing, but I, I find he has a very unique voice in, in filmmaking and, and a particular sort of style about him that I just, I really enjoy it. Even if the film I don't even think is fantastic. I'm just like, but there's still something about it. And he got started writing jokes for like the paper when he was a teenager. He would just write jokes, just like little sort of 
one-liners or like Bob Hope like style <laughs> jokes or whatever. Like he was just, you know, cutting his, cutting his teeth on that sort of thing. He was making money doing it at right. an early age, just writing these weird little jokes for the paper. Uh, and by the time that he had like reached like his, his twenties and stuff, he was, uh, starting to do stand up in like, uh, in the village in New York. And he had a style of comedy at that point that he was bombing at first, mm. but there were people who were just like, Oh my God, like this guy is unbelievable. Right. Like he's like, his jokes were just so insane and it took a little while, but eventually he became like one of the biggest acts that was going, mm. especially in New York. Eventually it was just like, cause he had, he had a whole style of comedy that nobody had ever seen or heard before at that point in time. And it's kind of like, it makes me think of this whole thing of like clearing out the gunk not that he was writing bad jokes per se. Right. Just like, not that you're going to necessarily write a bad script or a bad short story the first few times through. You might, you might write something that's really quite good. Yeah. It is possible, but there's going to be some gunk in there too. Like there's going to be some shit that you're clearing out within that process. It's, it's inevitable part of the whole thing because you have a lot of ideas when you first begin something, you have a a lot of thoughts and preconceptions as what it looks like, what you think it is, what you think the process is, how you think it's supposed to come out, Mm. you know, what you think makes it good or not good. And only through going through all of that and, and then being able to see your work after, but, and putting it out there, having other people see what you do and taking that, all of this stuff in and, and then writing something else, like learning from it. you only through that process, do you really start to discover what it is that you actually want to say? What is actually authentically genuinely inside you? Mm-hmm. I think that that's, um, I think it's a necessary learning thing that you have to go through. And yeah, it's this whole thing. These words, some of these words keep coming up like precious mm. is part of it. And, and trust it's like all about not being so precious about it and trust yourself and trust this process that's going on. Trust that like whatever you're going to spit out for the first few times, if you've never done it before, it's like, you know what, this might not be great. And this yeah. might not work at all. It might be a complete piece of shit mm. and being okay with that. Mm and saying like, yeah, this is what was supposed to happen. It was supposed to be garbage. And I was supposed to learn something and I did learn something. And now I'm going to write the next thing and it's going to be a little bit better and it's going to be a little bit better. Yeah. And you're always learning. I mean, you're always going to learn from your work. I mean, that's the best way to learn is to, is to do it and mess it up and then learn from that. The other thing I was going to say is like how to ruin it is, uh, that just kind of popped up in my mind mm. is right to impress. That'll ruin everything. Yeah. Like, like act to impress your, your acting friends. That's a great way to ruin your acting career. Yeah. Like, like right to impress writers. Great way to ruin your writing career. I mean, you got it. Like, like they're all going to hate you anyways. <laughs> <laughs> if you're great, they're going to oh, hate you. Man. If you're terrible, they'll be like, Oh no, that was so good. <laughs> It was so good. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, it was terrible. I felt so bad. 
Um, yeah, well, I hope not everyone, but no, not everybody. <laughs> I'm just saying yeah. this, this, that, that, that is certainly some people. Oh, some people are, they're petty. Um, but yeah, I think also like if you write something that you think is, uh, like I've done it before where I'm like, oh yeah, this would be really cool. I remember I wrote something one time. It was, uh, I was rewriting a project and I was like, I don't know, I guess I was like kind of it wasn't like, I wouldn't say I was Tarantinoing it, but I was kind of like, I'm going to go like more edgy and more like whatever. And then I, <laughs> I gave it to someone to read and they were, they even said that they said, they gave me some feedbacks, like very Tarantino. And I just remember being like, what a fucking piece of shit. Like, it was just <laughs> like, what a piece of shit I wrote. It was so inauthentic. I was right. just like, like I was trying so hard to do something cool, you mm. know? And, um, and I think like, I really like, I'm glad I did it. Cause I learned, I learned, like, I just learned what doing something authentic feels like. And yeah. then my writing, like, I mean, granted there's certain probably ways in which I'm not totally being connected in my writing in certain ways yet. But like, that was like a blatant attempt at trying to be cool and like yeah. trying to impress, you know? And I think the thing is, is like, you know, you can, I think you can write with style and you can write with flair, but you got to write with it from a place of like, like a real place, you know? Yeah. And like, I think what saved that little piece of writing, which I probably still have on file somewhere was that there was a little piece of authenticity in there, but there was a lot of fluff around it, you know? Yeah. And like, I think like where, where, when we write to impress or we do something to do it right or to, to you know, like, like, I mean, I've done this with acting too, is like, I'll do this. Cause I think the acting teacher will like it, you know? Cause yeah. I think, you know, I think we've all been there probably in some way. I'll do this cause I think my parents will like it. I don't know, whatever yeah. it is. Right. But like, I think we've all been there somewhere trying to impress somebody. Yeah. And like, that's, that's a sure way to ruin whatever you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause it's like, we don't know, like we don't know what's going to impress them and, and our perceptions and projections and ideas are all kind of like, they're all kind of bullshit and like write it to write it to express yourself and not even impress yourself. Just be impressed with your own expression. Yeah. You know, and however that comes out, I think that's really the key you know? And then I think the editing stage of it is like, if you really feel like you were being truthful, editing becomes a lot easier. If you feel like you were being like very, like you're trying really hard when you're writing, editing is pain because it was so hard to write the scene. Like when you're doing, when, in my experience, when I'm writing something that's authentic, writing is easy and fun. Yeah. And like, I'm not worried about getting rid of it because I trust it'll be easy and fun again when I'm writing something and it was like not easy and fun to do. And I had to really work at it. I don't want to cut it because I feel like I'm losing something, but like it's probably a red flag that because it wasn't easy and fun because it wasn't like it didn't flow when I did it, it probably was not the best scene. Most likely. Yeah. There's probably always an exception, but I would say that's probably pretty common. Mm -hmm. You know, when I see writers really try, and I read their stuff, I, it tends to be not so, not so great, but usually uh, like when writers are like, I I don't know if they usually be like this. I don't know if this is any good, but like I tried something. Yeah. 
it's usually the best thing they've ever written. I remember there's one writer I was working with and they said that to me. They're like, they wrote two scenes and they sent them both to me. And one was, they're like, I think this scene's really cool. Yeah. They're like, I think this scene, you're really going to like this scene. It's really awesome. And this other scene, like, I, I don't know, like, like you might hate it. I, I just like, and they were super vulnerable yeah. about it. The one they were vulnerable about or the one they thought that would be so great. I was like, eh, this, this is kind of trite. This is like garbage. Yeah. The one they were vulnerable. I was like, this is really fucking good. This is the best thing I've ever seen you writ. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. And, and they were like, really? And I was like, yeah, like, I'm like, I think you like tapped into something that was really real for you because like I, you know, and that's the funny thing is like, they had no perspective on what was yeah. good. So what they thought was shit was actually good. Well, cause it's like you get past yeah. those first ideas. Right. And, yeah. and you got to dig a little bit deeper and you're like, well, I don't know, maybe there's this scene about, uh, you know, this guy and he's, you know, and he's dealing with this and <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, sure. All right. That that's got something to it, you know? And then you, and then you just work from that and it's like, whoa, you like said something really great because you didn't really have an expectation on it. You know, you didn't really, you weren't trying to make it anything. It was just an idea that you were willing to engage with and explore and express. Mm. Right. And, and there's something remarkable that comes out of it as opposed to it's just like, yeah, there's this scene and he's <laughs> going to be like, and he's going to say this and she's going to say this and it's going to be like, Oh shit. Right. <laughs> and, and you're like, okay. Like I kind of saw all of this coming and it was a little bit contrived. If you ask me, I was like, who the fuck actually says these kinds of things to each other? You know, like, Oh, I don't know what it could be, but any of these things could could factor into some of, some of those things that, mm. that go on. Right. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so good. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's, I think that's a, you know, that's, that's kind of a, that's a good note also to like leave everybody on too, is that, um, the reason why I say is be prolific and write shit is like most of the stuff you think is shit is actually really good. Probably you'll be surprised. And if you don't tinker it too much, you'll be able to look at it later with perspective and find out that it was actually pretty good. Um, I think we sometimes ruin really good stuff because we feel vulnerable about it. And then we try to improve it. And we actually take away what was authentic about it because we're just so blind to like, you know, um, self acceptance and self love and whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say like, it's almost like, like write something and like, just get it out as fast as you can, put it down and go walk around for a week. Like go walk around and just, and just think and ponder and like, not from a place of judgment, but just like try on the characters, just like, you know, and just have some time and don't even show it to anybody right away. Just like, you know, allow it to like, just process through you and then really check in with like, why do you want to edit it? Like that question, why is so important? Why do you want to edit it? Like if, if the answer is like, I don't think it's very good. Really like check in with that. Like, why don't you think it's very good? Like if if it's like, well, I want to edit it because I feel like I, you know, I feel like the, 
scene is too long. Well, okay, maybe, maybe it's too long. Maybe you cut a little off the front, cut a little off the back. How's it sit now? Like, don't even edit it. Just cut a little off the front, a little off the back. Mm -hmm. And let's just see, like make it shorter, you know, start later and earlier. How does it sit now? You know, but if you're like, well, I feel like I, I wrote too much dialogue in the scene. Okay. Look at each person's bit of dialogue and just say like, can I say this with less words? You know, like, don't worry about the writer who wrote it, which is you don't, don't look at it personally. Just go like, can the same thing be said with less? Mm -hmm. And then, and that's, I think that's the whole, that's the whole first thing that I look at. Like that's my first editing process is I usually go through it. I read it again and I usually just edit grammar and, uh, spelling errors and that's it. That's my first reread. My second reread is just to cut. It's just like, just cut stuff out. Yeah. just find stuff. And sometimes I'll do it on the first one, but I just start looking at like, where can I just chop stuff away? Right. Yeah. And then the third rewrite, when I get to that stage, then I start looking at it from a little bit more, but now I've had two times of processing it. And the yeah. first time I read it, when I was doing grammar and spelling, I wasn't really editing it. I was just kind of like rereading it and processing it for myself. But spelling and grammar gives me kind of something to do to be a little more active. Mm, right. But the second one I feel a little bit of the loss cause I've been cutting stuff and that's kind of, I always find a yeah. little bit of an icky feeling as a writer. Cause you're like, like sometimes it's hard cause you know, like I, I find sometimes I want to keep something and I'm like, well, why do I really feel like I need to keep this? Can I go without it? And if, if it's yes, yeah. you can, if the answer is yes, yeah. you can, like, could I go without it? You could like, and then the question is, do I want to? And if, if you don't want to, like you probably just should, you know? Yeah. And then you'll have a shorter script on the next read and then you can start to process. And then at that point, I usually start looking at, okay, do we need to rewrite this all again? Yeah. I start asking questions like that. Cause then I'm like, and if the answer is yes, then yes, we got to go rewrite it again. Yeah. And like, I think that's the part where most writers want to tuck tail and run. Yeah. Cause like the other thing too, is I have two choices at that point. Does it all need to be rewritten like substantially Yeah. or, or not? And if it does, then I have really one of two options. I rewrite it from scratch again. I just start again. Or if I don't want to do that, I put it on the shelf and I move on to the next thing. Yeah. You really have two options. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is, is people get to that third rewrite stage and they're trying to tinker with dialogue and make it better and all that other stuff. It's like, like if your script is really, really good at that point, you're like, okay, I'm really happy with what we got here. Then you, you got to start looking at it. Okay. Like, well, I'll do a quick tinker. I get one run through. Like yeah. th- that's what I'd say on the fourth rewrite. I mean, this is just my process. I'm not yeah. saying I'm right. I'm just saying it's the way that I do it. If I'm not going to shelf it, but I'm not going to rewrite it, then I'm going to tinker. I get one tinker. One. Right. That's it. And I better get it all on that one shot. Cause once I start doing more tinkering, then it's a problem. After that one tinker, if I, re- cause then you got to stand by your work. Yeah. Right. Then you got to go, okay, here we go. Or here's the other um, caveat. If there's several scenes in the script that need to be rewritten entirely, I'll mark those scenes, cross them out with a big red pen, and I will rewrite all of those scenes and do the tinkering on the rest of it. Yeah. You know, again, if I'm not willing to rewrite the whole scenes, like not the whole script, but those scenes, then it has to be shelved. There's, there's really, you got to keep it super simple right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, for myself, it's like going through a script and doing like the first edit on it. I'm reading it after I've written the first draft 
and yeah, it's grammar. And the only other thing I really do on that is like, if there's something that jumps out at me, then I'm just like, uh, like there's something, something kind of off about this here. Continuity error is or like no, cliche? No, just like, yeah, like cliche or there's just like, there's just something not working about it. There's something not working about what I'd written. And I'll just like, if it's a particular section, I'll just like, like highlight, highlight it, draw a box around it. Or if it's a whole scene or something and I write question mark, Mm. I just put a question mark on it. It's just like, I don't fucking know about this. I do the same. That's good. Yeah. And just like, and then keep moving through it, keep moving through it, keep moving through it. And then yeah, have some time after that first read through to just like, let it kind of sink in. And what were my things about it? And and also taking note of the places that I'm like, this really worked, right? Like, I really like this scene. I like how this came out. Like, this is like, and being able to see, yeah, this is what I wanted to achieve. And this came through and there was something authentic about this. And, and I laughed and I found myself, you know, feeling, you know, like emotionally involved in what was going on. I'm like, okay, this works. You know, it's not about just saying what doesn't work. It's about acknowledging what is working too. Yeah. Like sometimes um, what I'll do is I'll put a little check mark next to a scene if I really like it. Yeah. Like just kind of like, yeah, good, you know, good one. Like I really like this scene. Yeah. You know? And that kind of, as you go through it and like, I always, I always say, I, I don't want to cut you off, but I always say to writers, always save every draft. And when you start a new draft, make sure that every draft before, and there's, I have really like two big reasons for that. One is that you'll see where you've grown. Yeah you'll see, you can always go back to the first one and see how far you've come by the end of it. Cause you have probably come a long way. The other thing is, is that if you're rewriting, you won't be so precious because you can, I always try to remind writers of this. You always can go back to the last draft. Like when I'm rewriting a script, like people will go, oh, you'll rewrite the whole script. I'm like, the other one isn't going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like it's still there. If I go halfway through this process and decide I don't like the way it's going, I can abandon ship. I already have the script written. You know what I mean? Like that, like, so that's why you always got to keep a draft Mm because you can always just go back to the last version because things can just go off. Like, don't think just because you're rewriting, everything's going to work out perfect like this time. Sometimes it's not. So just go back, you know? And like, you know, and the other thing too is here's a third reason and a little bonus. Not that you'd ever do this, but you could. And we did this with the television pilot we were working on. Yeah. Is you not so much with features, but if I'm a pilots kind of like that, or like TV series, you'll take a scene from that episode, a scene from this episode, you'll keep bits and parts that mm. works. Mm. And then you'll just scrap the rest. Cause there was bits of gold in it all, but like most of it you didn't like, but then there was bits of gold. So you just, and, and because you have all the other drafts, you can just go back, pull that scene from that draft and then you got it. And sometimes yeah. you might rewrite the whole scene, but the scene idea was really good. Yeah. You know? I can't tell you, like I've done, I've done two pilot, two pilot whole series. Now I've written two now, maybe no, I've written two at least. I I, I guess I've worked on some others, but from my experience of those, there's so much stuff that doesn't make the final cut Yeah. at the end of it. And, and, and that's just the process, you know? And like on a big TV series, they'd probably have several writers working on it. You know, I worked on yeah. one with like in most series I've done. It's been like, there's been multiple writers and you start to find there's a real neat interdynamic that happens with it all. It's right. pretty cool. But yeah, like, you know, you just, you don't know, like there's a lot of stuff that it's hard to tell the shit from the gold. 
in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you've got to just put it out there. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise I think in terms of what we discussed, like, uh, simple, like, simple. no, that simple is the way to, is the way to begin, especially and trusting that simple can also be where it ends. Hmm. There's nothing wrong with a simple story told really fricking well. Mm-hmm. A simple story told really well is better than a complicated story told really shittily. Shittily. Shittily did. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's fucking brutal. Totally. Um, I agree with that a hundred percent. Uh, so yeah. And, and, it, and that comes down to, to trust and, uh, trusting in yourself and trusting in, in that a simple idea can, can be really profound and you don't need to gunk it up with a bunch of ideas of what you think makes a good story necessarily and what you think people want to see and what you think people will like and what all of this shit about whatever you think gets in, in the way of it all and, and becomes part of that perfectionist shit storm. Hmm. Um, that prevents you from moving on Hmm. that keeps you in that static state of just making sideways moves on your work. Like, you know, you're just shuffling back and forth. Like you, it doesn't really matter anymore what you're doing with it. Hmm. It's like it either works or it doesn't work at this point. Yeah. And either you're going and either you're going to make the next step with it and put it out there or you're going to shelve it. And you're going to say, you know what? It doesn't work. Yeah. Or whatever. And I'm moving on, you know, but, uh, it, it takes a a degree of experience and honesty with yourself, trust in yourself. And, uh, I think that's it. That's all I got. All right. Well, that's good. Um, okay. So I'm going to just, uh, I, we didn't really talk about this, but I'm going to just give a few pointers that have worked for me. Um, write fast. Yeah. Write fast. Like get that script out as quickly as humanly possible. That first draft and don't, don't labor over scenes. Don't labor over like, should they say this or say that? Just give them a line and move on, you know, and like, just get things done and move on and get that draft done as quickly as possible. Um, I think that's so important because when you get to the editing stage, it will help you to not be precious and we've talked about how precious is like a a, a big issue. The other thing is, is that, um, you know, just a lot of what we talked about with, um, with, with the writing, I mean, yeah, get the gunk out, you know, just, just write, get it out. And then, you know, and, and just plan to shelf your first few scripts, you know? And like, if something turns out to be really great out of your first few, then be like, okay, like, awesome. Like I'm going to do something with this, but like, just plan on it being like just a script that you're getting kind of out of the way. Mm-hmm. Like imagine, think of it like this, like every script that you could write is like a building block. Okay. But there's like several building blocks in your way right now. And you need to write the script to move the building block out of your way. So just think of it like the first two or three scripts you're writing are just removing building blocks out of your way so you can move and do whatever you want. And then you can start building a block that you actually want. Um, but you might actually discover that the building blocks you moved out of the way were actually really good and useful later. 
but they weren't so good right away. Yeah. If it so happens that the first script you write, the first building block you build turns out to be a masterpiece. Don't assume that your second one will be, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) you know, just kind of like, just look at that as kind of, um, a good fortune and also like an interesting challenge that you're, you're going to have because it's a lot of pressure to live up to. I've seen it. I've seen it happen where someone's made like a really great first film and then everything else they've done has just been, you know, it's just struggled. Yeah. I've seen it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's tough sometimes to get too much success right away. So I think if you, you know, if you kind of look at it that way and then you're going to get a groove and you're going to have a groove and then you're going to have a process. And you also take a little bit of the, this is the last thing I'm going to say, take a little bit of the preciousness of being a writer out of the equation. Like you're just a grunt who drinks coffee and writes some words down. Like, don't make yourself into some big deal, you know, like, Mm. like that's another thing I see writers kind of like they, they, they idolize movie stars and idolize writers and all this stuff. It's like, don't idolize so much. Just like, you're just a person who writes. You're, you're like the same as a construction worker. You're not, don't, don't start being precious about you and you're in being special. Yeah. Like that's a great way to screw yourself over and like ruin your work. Like just be a person that lives life that happens to document and use their imagination to document like a certain emotional type of experience with it. And, and just being creative with that. Like don't, don't make that like you're somehow better or special or people who succeeded are special. The other thing here, and I know I said that was my last thing, but like people in the film industry will be grossed out if you idolize them. They mm. will look down on you because you're telling them that they're so great that you need to like, look up at them, look at people like human beings. Like everybody's just a person. And I tell you that their struggles are the same. Mm. It, that's the one thing you start to realize you get like a little older, you start to live a little life. Everybody's fucking, no one knows what they're doing. We're all struggling. We all have the same fucking problems. It yeah. just so happens that some of us kind of get, I don't know, into positions or whatever, or maybe some of us play an act where it looks like maybe things are better off. Yeah. But it's, it's all the same shit. So, so <laughs> that's what I got. For yeah, you. And no, it's all the same shit. That's the final point. <laughs> Simple. Yep. You know, Simple. <laughs> Simple. Okay. Well, it was fun. Yeah, it was a good one as always. All right. So, uh, thanks for being here. It's a B and E podcast doing our thing once again that was our show for today thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this if you enjoyed our conversation please subscribe and share with your friends and family or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com oh and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on itunes that will really help us out a lot it definitely will thanks